The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, returning gently to the room. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about this Sama Samadhi, the eighth step of the Eightfold Path. Today we're going to explore a little bit more carefully what the Buddha meant about this final step of the path and we'll consider both what it is and and what it isn't. So in this first part of today we're going to focus on right concentration or wise concentration that arises out of continuity of mindfulness. Talk about how it arises out of continuity of mindfulness. And this this can occur both on the cushion and in daily life. You know, there can be a sense that concentration is this deep meditative state that I'm really far from getting to. <laughs> and these sorts of, of thoughts can come in. But really, if you think about having a continuity of mindfulness, you know, being aware what's happening as it's happening that can go on no matter what it is that's happening so there are types of samadhi that are we can cultivate in daily life and that can be very present throughout whatever activity we're doing so maybe that's the first thing to know is that concentration can happen both on and off the cushion Now the Buddha was eventually aiming toward meditative concentration uh, as a way to develop the mind. But he also was careful to define the qualities of a concentrated or gathered or composed mind. And those qualities can be present in all kinds of everyday situations which actually then prepare the mind to, you know, to concentrate more on the cushion as well as having many benefits in the present moment and in our daily lives. And we'll talk more later in the session about kind of concentration on the cushion. But I want to start with these qualities. What are the key qualities of a mind that has sama samadhi? You know, what is it that the Buddha was trying to point to there? Maybe as a summary, we can say the mind is attentive or mindful in a fairly continuous way it's unified and it's happy (laughs) and it has a wholesome intention we'll qualify some of those so it's not an accident that on the eightfold path wise concentration is the step after wise mindfulness It arises out of that step as we cultivate our attentiveness, our ability to be present and to not be distracted. Then more and more we can say that the mind is gathered, is focused, I'll be careful using that word, but more and more if the mind is not distracted, it's in a state that is composed, that is present and attentive. And you've probably maybe noticed already in your practice that just by cultivating 
the mindfulness and the practices that we've been doing over the course of these months, uh, more often you have the sense that you're mindful during the day or during an activity. Um, Or maybe you've noticed that uh, when you become unmindful and are operating habitually, it's quicker that you come back to um, being present. And you think, oh yeah, that's right. Um, I used to be gone for three hours and now it's only an hour. (laughs) I don't know if we can put numbers on like that, but I certainly had a sense in my practice that the... It's like, oh, you know, it's like more often I remember. And that's just a natural quality of mindfulness, <coughs> is that mindfulness cultivates more mindfulness. And when, uh, when we've got it going for even a little while, it's more likely that it will arise again. All right, and then what about this next word I said? I said the word unified. So a composed mind is somehow unified. And that doesn't mean that got a single track, <laughs> single track mind. We don't need to cultivate that necessarily, but it's consider instead that sometimes when we sit down, um, our intention is to focus on the breath, but our body is really agitated and painful in a certain place, and so we're thinking about that, and our emotions are still tied up with what that person said to us just before we came here. And our thoughts are all about the fact that we're worried about where we're going after this because we have to do something that we're not sure how to do. So our thoughts, our emotions, our intentions, and our body are all in four different places. That is not a unified or composed mind. And we've all experienced that. That's Sometimes the mind is like that. What the Buddha is saying is that when the mind is in samadhi, it's in a state where those things are somehow more harmonized. You know, It doesn't have to be complete, But generally, you know, if we're sitting on the cushion, for example, we know we're sitting on the cushion. We're not talking to our friend an hour ago and we're not doing whatever we're going to do two hours from now. We're sitting on the cushion. We might still have thoughts, but maybe we think about, oh, is my posture completely balanced? Um, We think about, oh, uh, I notice that I've got a lot of desire. My mind keeps going toward that, um, you know, croissant that I'm going to eat after this. And so then you can... You know, instead of getting upset about that, you can have more unified thought by saying, ah, there's desire in the mind. That's what's happening in the present moment. It's not the croissant, that's happening later. But in the, in the moment, there's desire. And so there's sort of a sense that the mind is gathered on what's actually happening in the present moment. That's what's meant by unification or gathering. Also, Concentration arises along with a feeling of joy or happiness or contentment, depending kind of what flavor your mind goes for along that spectrum. And, you know, we're not going to become well concentrated on something that we're doing out of obligation. You know, if you sit down and you're focused on the breath because Kim is telling you to do that, but secretly you're thinking this is really stupid probably it's hard to really actually bring the full forces of the mind to what you're doing. And so, and this is not to say that, you know, because people then hear this and they say, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not happy, (laughs) that's why I came. Uh, This was never going to work. Don't worry about it, don't get caught up in that. It's actually just natural that when the mind begins to relax a little bit, 
any degree of settling, of focusing in on the body, of uh, not allowing the mind to follow all its trails of thought, all of that comes with some degree of ease or happiness. And we can tune into that. Sometimes it's just that we're not habitually tuned into those feelings. That's why I talked a little bit in the guided meditation about finding ease. Can you find something at ease? That word is usually something people can tune into. And it doesn't mean that everything is gone. I know you guys were thinking during some of that. Probably. Maybe you weren't. (laughs) But... um, you know, it can be okay that the mind is actually a little bit agitated or that something, or that it's feeling angry even or a little bit sad. Uh, it's possible to just hold that within the attentive mind and let gradually let it settle and feel the ease that comes from knowing that you're not caught in that. It's also possible to have concentration even if something that you're doing is unpleasant or you're involved in an experience that is a little bit painful. This is actually the mental attitude that matters. I'll give a couple examples. One is that I have felt the joy of concentration while cleaning a really nasty stove. <laughs> but I was into the task, you know, it's like and it was I have to admit it was kind of satisfying that even you know, even though it was a lot of grease on the stove, when I actually got a spot clean, that felt really great. You know, it's like wow. And so it wasn't I can't say it was pleasant, but um there was definitely a gathering around the task and a sense of unification and even joy in that. Also, um, many people have said to me, and I've heard, you know, I've experienced it myself, is that it's possible to become concentrated uh, on, even with pain in the body, okay? So there's a feeling of pain in the shoulder or the knee, and... You know, it's not that we like the pain. We're not asked to like it. But if we're in a situation where we know that this is something that arises for us, it's not that we're doing you know, serious damage to our body, but it's just normal that the body hurts. We can actually use that pain as a gathering point, right? It's possible to zero in on that and feel the breath moving through it and notice that pain is actually um, multiple different sensations and to develop a continuity of mindfulness by being willing to be with that pain. Now, that's a changing object, which is fine. As long as there's that continuity of mindfulness, people can even feel incredible joy and happiness while experiencing pain if, it's, if the conditions are there for that. I'm not saying it happens every time by any means. But it can. Don't limit yourself. In my own life, I find that wise concentration can happen during some activities. For example, cooking sometimes. I need to be aware of what I'm doing, (laughs) following the recipe, uh, but also paying attention in the moment to how things are progressing. You know, the recipe might say, cook this for 10 minutes, but if it's burning at (laughs) 8, I take it off (laughs) or I read more carefully. Did I have the right temperature? So there's a sense of being responsive to the moment, being attentive, Generally, I'm cooking for some good reason, to feed myself or to serve someone else, as opposed to trying to impress people, for example, so our attitude matters a little bit. And sometimes I have to do something quickly, but that's no problem. You know, the concentrated mind is not set on being at a particular speed. It doesn't have to be super slow. So it's all part of the flow, the sense of being in a, in a flow 
We'll talk a little bit more later about um, about that. Notice that I included um, the intention explicitly. So another important element of wise concentration is that our mind is not doing it. It hasn't been taken over by greed or aversion or delusion while we're there. So there are examples of what we might call concentration. I'm concentrated on something in daily life that are actually states that include these unwholesome components. And those would not be samasamadhi. Okay, there may be concentration, but they're not wise concentration. So uh, some extreme examples include a pickpocket who is very focused on getting your wallet. <laughs> and they may be very focused on that task, but there's uh, most likely greed is there. And so it's not, you know, that's not considered wise. Or we may be concentrated on doing a task at work, but subconsciously we're driven by the fear of protecting our reputation. So we're going to do really well on this task and and we're tense about it because we are terrified that if we don't do well, something bad is going to happen. You may be really concentrated through that fear, but that's not wise concentration. Now you can also be very concentrated on a task at work for perfectly wise reasons. It's not the activity of doing work that's the problem, doing your job. But if the motivation is this fear, that's the underlying drive, then it's not the sama samadhi. Another classic example is television. We can be totally absorbed in the TV. But if we're really just doing that in order to space out, that's um, flavored with delusion, right? It's flavored with non-attentiveness to the present moment. So in order for the mind to gather itself and reach some kind of continuity of mindfulness, we're going to have to let go of the grosser distractions and forces that are in the mind. I think much of what we do on the cushion, at least certainly almost everybody in the early part of their sit, and sometimes for whole periods of our practice, we have to work with what are called the hindrances. And, you know, these are hindrances to concentration, essentially. And so there are classically five of these. I'll just name them and describe them a bit. I'm sure they're familiar. (laughs) The first is the hindrance of sensual desire. And this is, you know, wanting something, typically something pleasing or pleasant to us. So we want that donut. We want want our soft, warm bed, uh, something like that. You know, and some of these are okay things to want. Um, but if if that's what you're thinking about and you're really absorbed in that idea, probably, you know, the continuity of mindfulness with your breath, with the body, things like that, um, is not there on the cushion. So you may notice that these kinds of things come about. And then there's, the second one is ill will. It's typically how it's said. And so this is, ruminating about how we're annoyed with somebody or with ourselves or with a situation or with the world. Sound familiar? So this is a sense, and you know, not in a constructive way, more in a sense of grumbling and feeling bad about it, uh, while, of course, what we're doing is changing nothing of it, right? We're actually just suffering for that. Um, and there's a lot, there can be a lot of justification with that. Well, of course, it's bad because of blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is just a property of ill wills, that it comes with a lot of lawyers, as Gil likes to say, reasons why it's all true. 
but is it what you need to be doing on the cushion? And so uh, learning to not put energy into these two. These, these first two are kind of the gross distractions of the mind, things we want, things we don't want. And it's not that we're never going to act on those things when we're out in the world, but when we're sitting on the cushion, they're not needed in the mind. And so there are a lot of strategies for not uh, falling into those, but most of them involve withdrawing energy from them and putting energy into paying attention to the breath or something else that's more wholesome. Now, even if we are relatively free, and we're not talking about completely being free from these things and they never arise again while we're sitting here, but you know, if we're generally not being pulled by those two things, there are other hindrances that are present also, or sometimes these can even be the main ones. The next two hindrances have to do with our energy level. And the first is sloth and torpor, Sound familiar, particularly in this after-lunch slot as we're in right now? I know about that. So this is when the body feels heavy and tired and the mind may get a little dull. Uh, I'll tell you a secret. One of the appeals of sloth and torpor and the reason that we keep going to it is that it's actually a pleasant state, right? It's pleasant to kind of sink into slumber. (laughs) And... um, and so we have to be able to say, no, this is not what I was intending at this time. I'm intending to stay with the present moment. There are many, many strategies for this that are in the written teachings of the Buddha. So this to me says people have been falling asleep in meditation for at least 2,600 years. So it's nothing new for you. <laughs> and, you know, there are many strategies for this. We can open the eyes. We can uh, pay more attention to the in-breath. We can straighten the body physically physically. If it's really extreme, you can stand up, meditate standing up. Jack Cornfield was instructed to meditate sitting on the edge of a deep well. He stayed awake. <laughs> I don't know if we'd go to that extreme for ourselves, but that was what his teacher recommended. Okay, and then as you can imagine, the second hindrance related to energy level is restlessness. And it's actually usually paired with a, an emotional state. It's either restlessness and remorse or restlessness and worry. Sound familiar? So this could be in the body, can be restlessness of just the physical agitation of moving around quickly or of talking a lot. That tends to bring agitation into the body. Uh, And it can feel like energy buzzing in the head or in the body. And it can almost even feel like you want to leap off the cushion at times when it gets really strong. Or it might just be a gentle, gentle agitation. And then there's the mental component of it worry or remorse usually and so these are things that we're concerned about maybe things that we did that we regret or things that we're worried about might happen or um, all kinds of scenarios the mind can cook up and the Buddha knew about that too this is actually a major reason why we practice the sila steps of the path you remember the ones related to ethical conduct right speech, right action, right livelihood Why do we practice those? Because if we haven't done that, this is where it shows up on the cushion in restlessness and remorse or restlessness and worry. A mind that's caught up in the fact that it didn't behave, we didn't behave well or we didn't, you know, we weren't acting as ethically as we wanted to. Hard to settle down, you know. Um, And it's not that we're going to be, not that we have to be perfect (laughs) before we can achieve concentration. It's more that you know, there's also room for compassion and expansion, expansiveness of mind, holding 
how things were, but generally you can see the connection, right? So we uh, make sure that we've behaved as well as we can and responded as well as we could have, and then that helps in meditation. And then the fifth hindrance, the last one that's listed in this set, is doubt. And that is about, it's not any kind of doubt. Um, It's actually a good idea to be skeptical and question um, what society is telling you and (laughs) these sorts of things. Zen, we call it great doubt. But um, this is doubt about the practice itself, about the teachings, about the person who gave you teachings, about your own ability to do it. Um, These things are distractions from being able to sit. Basically, if you're sitting there saying, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't think I can do this, why am I doing this, what is this all about? The Buddha didn't know what he was talking about, blah, 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 you know, these kinds of things. Um, Or, you know, these problems that I'm thinking about are really important. I don't think the teacher understands just how important my particular thing is. I'm not going to settle down and not think about it for this time. So these kinds of doubts, um, really you can see that I'm, I'm playing it up a little bit, but you can see that while you're thinking thoughts like that, you're not present with the body and the breath and uh, settled in what's actually happening in the moment. So it's an art form, by the way, to start working with all these hindrances, sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and doubt, those five. And so um, we're going to get a chance to talk in a few minutes about uh, how we work with those. But just generally know that when those are, when you've somehow managed to not have those, what's left is a concentrated mind. You're not trying to get that concentration that you don't have. Actually, if you just let go of these five, what's left is a mind that is gathered, that is present, that is kind and has continuous mindfulness, it is unified, joyful, that's what's left. So as you can imagine, a mind like this, to whatever degree we're able to achieve it, is really pleasant, actually. <laughs> that's the, you know, it's really, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm not saying, this is a kind of pleasure that is not a problem. This is not about the, like, the donut kind of pleasure. This is a great thing to have a mind that can be like that, even a little bit. Imagine how much better it is for the people around you when you're not caught in those five hindrances and for yourself. And so this is what the Buddha is pointing towards in cultivating this. He's not cultivating, it's not about withdrawing from the world and cultivating some state where you're transcended from everything and you're not dealing with your life. These are sort of things that people worry about with concentration. But if you see it as letting go of those five qualities that I talked about, well, those qualities aren't nothing great about those. So... You know, we're letting go of things that are harmful. Concentration is all about letting go. And what's left is something that's very beautiful and beneficial to whatever degree. So we're going to talk we'll talk more about that later. But for now, we'll stop and have a chance for all of you to share some of your experience. So... If you would, um, could you get into groups of four and then I'll give you a question that we can talk about together.
Okay, everybody getting settled? Yeah, that looks pretty good. So, first thing, please um, share, this is the first question, share your understanding of how some of the five hindrances operate in your mind and life. Okay, and this is something where I think we'll do it that um, each person gets a chance to share for let's say for two minutes or so and then the next person and then the next person and we'll talk um, uninterrupted during that time. Okay, so each person gets a chance to explore that a little bit. Share your understanding of how some of the five hindrances, don't have to do all of them, operate in your mind and life. And again, they are sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and doubt. Okay, so go ahead with the first person. Well, hopefully everyone's had a chance to share. If you want to just spend maybe a minute or so talking among yourselves, if you're not already, um, go ahead and wind up your conversations. Okay, you can stay in your groups. You can stay in your groups because there's a second question, actually. (laughs) Okay, so... Next question is, share ways that you have learned to work with these hindrances that you were just talking about, or ways to see them more clearly, such that even if they're present, they're not hindering. Does that make sense? So something is not a hindrance unless it's hindering you, even if it's there. So in what ways have you found to work with these challenges of your mind and of your life? And you'll have some time to talk. Why don't we do the same thing where each person has a chance to share, but uh, I'm not going to tell you uh, the divisions between each person, so please divide up the, the time. Make sure everyone can do it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that was harder than I previously, wasn't it? We had the same issue between Jim and me, actually. No, we, we got to both of us, but not quite evenly. So this is an exercise in mindfulness and samadhi, and we've all seen the challenge of it. <laughs> so, um, but we have a few minutes um, to share with the larger group and someone who, um, yeah, so this is an opportunity to share your wisdom more widely. And there will be a break after this, so you can also talk with each other then. But it would be great if some of all that wonderful wisdom about hindrances and how to overcome them could be shared a little bit more broadly, given that we're all working with them and we all need to help each other as well as we can. Any comments? This one and then that one. Okay. Well, we had a, a, a good discussion, and I think one of the things that I shared was... Um, Restlessness and worry. Um, as you may know, I, I've been doing some caregiving for my father over the past several years. And my dad had recently passed away, but in some ways, having to look at old age sickness, death in the face, I mean, there was some aspect of if I worried just enough that it wouldn't happen. I mean, there's some, some component of just paying attention and being there that was uncomfortable, but also there was elements of worry that he was cared for well enough. And and um, some overcoming that was 
just having the compassion or being able to look at that in a in a real way that we're none of us are getting out of this alive and that you uh you know this is the way it's going to go um and being uh okay with uh not having regret you know not having regrets being able to tell people that you care about them that you love them and and um being compassionate with the day-to-day aspects of um someone's becoming weaker and less capable so um that the this restlessness and worry and some sloth and torpor in there with being able to step up to the plate you know with those aspects wow thank you that, i mean that is um that's not just a little hindrance to concentration that's like the part of the path is to you know to understand aging illness and death and what i hear in what you said if you'll allow me to turn that into a little bit of a teaching is to say that these are not hindrances when they become the generators for compassion for wisdom for understanding and um you know those that kind of response Uh, these can be real catalysts in our lives and I hope we won't, you know, yeah, I hope we'll see these things as ways to expand our practice. So thank you for sharing that, Lynn. Um, In our group, um, one thing I wanted to highlight, or there were two things. Um, One uh, thing that at least I know a couple of us uh, noticed to help through the hindrances is Noticing when they're not present. Yeah. Um, and it kind of goes along with, you'd mentioned ease, and a couple of meetings ago we talked about when do you notice you're at ease. Um, and I found in that group it was, we started talking about when we're not at ease, <laughs> which is really difficult for people to follow that. Um, and it really got me thinking, when am I at ease, and when am I at peace and joyous? And so... Even in my sangha, we do the IMC uh, monthly talks, and in there it talked about, or we talked about how how is uh, the practice benefiting you instead of looking at what could I be doing better at or what could I be mm-hmm. doing more of, and and I'm like, you know, every time you get in those sanghas, yeah, I could be doing this better, and <laughs> this isn't working out, and you know, you start looking at your hindrances, and so I've been trying to be more aware of when my practice is working or those little bitty steps that do get me, um, you know, building upon those. And so uh, similarly with the hindrances, noticing when you're not in one of those ruts. Fantastic. Um, Yeah, that's really beautiful. That's actually part of, you know, it's part of the third noble truth. We're supposed to notice when things aren't, (laughs) when hindrances of various kinds have ceased or when things aren't (laughs) difficult. It's also part of mindfulness of mind is noticing times when the mind is actually calm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so, so, I don't recognize this state. <laughs> so, and the more we notice it, the more we can't notice it again in the future. Thank you for bringing that up. And then I just had one quick plug. I really um, appreciate the Dharma mentor. Um, oh. And when the last one, Doubt, <clears throat> um, that has particularly come up with me because I've read, I feel like I've read a ton of books on mindfulness. And last month was particularly challenging for me because I feel like I could write a dissertation on mindfulness. <laughs> um, and my mentor has been really supportive and 
helps you keep that doubt at bay. Mm. Um, and so I think that part of this program has been monumental in my growth. And I um, definitely just totally respect that piece. Great. Thank so, you. Thank yeah. you. I wanted to respond first to what she she had mentioned about when, noticing when your mind is at ease. And the times that I've noticed that, it was shocking because um, I didn't know who I was. And um, I thought, this is not who I am. I'm the person that's running around responding to all of these uh, emotions and those hindrances. And I think that that's one of the most difficult things to accept in this practice is that many people don't want to be somebody different. They're, they're accustomed to this habitual energy that runs around in our minds, and it's very lonely at first to become mm. somebody different. Uh, so that's something that I've learned to settle into. Uh, and then to summarize our group, uh, we, we talked about the hindrances of, of um, ill will and worry and um, sleepiness or torpor and how we responded to that. And... Uh, we have a lot of good ideas which we shared, but what was most remarkable really hit home with me is that this process and this practice, it works. Mm. Because all of us can see that happening, and we have different ways of responding it, to it. But the, the, the miracle of being able to actually see what's about to happen in our minds and then be able to respond appropriately is just an amazing, um, amazing satisfaction to be able to grow into that. Wow, you've said so much. It's just amazing to comment on your first part about feeling like you're not yourself when you're at ease. That's a big deal for people is to become uh, settled into that. I mean, what if we stopped valuing our suffering so much? (laughs) Who would we be? Yeah, so thank you. Thank you. That was very rich. All right, so we'll we'll take a break now. for about 10 minutes, and I'll ring the bell to bring us back. Thanks.